0: Hello, and welcome to the Hearn Him podcast. I'm Dale.
1: And I'm Tamara.
0: And when two theologians get married, what you get
1: is a podcast.
0: Well, this is the inaugural recording in the new Hearn Him World Headquarters in Corona, California. It's just three miles down the road from our previous world headquarters, but here we are. We are excited to be here.
1: We are. And I like how you called the world headquarters. Like you made it sound really legit
0: we have listeners around the world oh this is the world headquarters of the her and him podcast all
1: right okay
0: it's been an eventful week at our home moving mm. is not for the faint of heart we've been here for about a week and a half we just got our appliances today and we just got our internet installed today so we're feeling pretty good about that
1: yeah i'm tired <laughs> That's all I have to say about moving and being halfway through pregnancy is I'm tired.
0: But this home is quite nice. We love it.
1: We love it. And I don't think it's a home that everyone would love. It's kind of older. It's very unique. So yeah, we've had people visit and I don't think everyone has loved it.
0: That's okay. They don't have to live here.
1: That's true. We do. And we love it.
0: But it's a much nicer home than what we came from. It's much larger, and it has a yard. And so you might look at us and say that in life right now, we are prospering.
1: I mean, you could you could certainly say that.
0: Yeah, we are prospering.
1: I mean, we feel blessed. This was certainly something we could have never dreamt of, especially from the first home we had, and it was... It wasn't exactly the home we wanted, but it was the home we could afford. <laughs> so, so it was home, and we made it home. And we were actually kind of sad to leave that little home that we didn't love initially.
0: We were. I was very sad. But I'm happy to be here, and we are prospering, and that feels like good news to me. Yeah. Which leads us into today's topic, which is the prosperity gospel.
1: Dun, dun, dun. And if that
0: isn't the best segue out of an introduction in these 20 episodes, I don't know what it is.
1: It was, and I kept like trying to steer it away, so I'm sorry for ruining your segue, but you did a really great job. <laughs> yeah,
0: so we want to talk about the prosperity gospel today, and there is a lot to talk about. And really throughout the history of the church, false teachers have and false teachings have come into the midst of the church and led people away from sound biblical teaching. And really, in fact, much of the New Testament was written in response to false teachings. And much of early church history was written in response to false teachings of their day. And in 1 John 4, 1, it says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And while it's certainly true that there are certain sectors of the church that will cry false teaching every time another group of Christians disagrees with them, even on a secondary or a tertiary theological point, and that's wrong that they do that. But there are certain situations where we absolutely need to draw the line, and that's because there are certain movements within popular Christianity that that really gain some traction that actually attack the heart of the gospel and the prosperity gospel is one of those. And so we want to talk about that. What is it? What a response should be.
1: Yeah. And before we kind of start getting into that piece, I think you shared an important point earlier, how just because you don't necessarily agree with a secondary or tertiary theological issue doesn't mean you get to yell false teaching just because it's not the view that you have or your denomination has or the way you grew up, Uh, to accuse someone of false teaching, that's a pretty heavy accusation. And I don't think that's something that Christians should just use in casual conversation unless there truly is something happening within the preaching and teaching of that church or from that pastor that truly is false teaching so just because you don't agree with someone's view on let's say spiritual gifts uh, doesn't automatically make them a false teacher
0: right so we don't want to be the little boy who cried heretic but there are there are heretics out there where we need to cry heretic and so that's what we're going to do today And so what is the prosperity gospel? Who are the major players?
1: Yeah. So the prosperity theology has really been popularized by famous preachers of our time. And certainly I think this kind of teaching has been around for a while, but it's become really popular. And
0: it really is a uniquely American kind of idea, the prosperity Uh, gospel.
1: I don't think so. I think it's pretty popular in Latin America.
0: I guess that's true. It just feels, it. I feel like it originated here, and it's mm. quintessentially American.
1: That does make sense, where it originated here. It's
0: a very American kind of theology, and we yeah. haven't defined it yet, but we want to talk about who the major players are, and once you hear the names, you're like, okay, I'm kind of getting a, a vibe.
1: Yeah, so some of the famous preachers that would fall into the prosperity theology category would be Benny Hinn. Kenneth Copeland, Joel Osteen, and there are certainly many others. But yeah, I think Jim
0: Baker is another Jim one. Jim
1: Baker, yeah. And I think those would be some of the big names that a lot of people know. And I actually have acquaintances or friends that are pretty new to the faith. And the one person that I've been kind of surprised that they often listen to is Joel Osteen. And even people in the church I grew up in will tell me they're listening to some Joel Osteen preaching and that's a bit surprising to me but there certainly are popular preachers out there that have a very attractive message.
0: I will say on the Joel Osteen thing, Joel Osteen does wade into these waters but I think he does it in a far less egregious way. Yeah. As some of these other preachers. So he does have a lot of crossover appeal, but he he kind of comes from this band of thinking.
1: Yeah. And the heart of the message that comes from prosperity theology is that Jesus can make you rich. He can make you happy. He can make you healthy. And many of these prosperity preachers are really wealthy
0: yeah this is going to be a major theme and we're going to dive into this from a couple of different angles but just to illustrate very famously Jesse Duplantis is a prosperity gospel preacher and he recently made headlines because he was calling his church to dig deep into their pockets and donate big so that he could buy a private jet for added context he already has a private jet but he wanted a bigger, faster private jet so that he could, quote-unquote, spread the gospel more quickly. And he wanted his church and the people who attend his church to foot the bill because Jesus wants you to be healthy, happy, wealthy. Jesus doesn't want you to be poor. Jesus doesn't want you to be sick. Jesus wants to bless you. And so you reach down into your pockets. You bless me so that I can bless people with this message. And that's kind of what the prosperity gospel looks like.
1: And there's certainly a lot of problems with that. I mean, even just look at the life of Jesus. By material means, Jesus was not wealthy. And we'll talk about this later. I don't think that just because you're a Christian or just because you're a pastor that you are called to live a life of poverty. But Jesus isn't in the business of just trying to make you rich.
0: Right. And With I, money. Exactly. Like rich in
1: life, absolutely. But that, the, the definition of rich and abundance in Jesus is so much different than the definition of health and wealth based on American standards.
0: Yeah, and so this is a message that is alarmingly popular.
1: Well, yeah, and it sounds amazing.
0: Exactly. People sell lots of books. They pack out stadiums. It is worth mentioning before we kind of go into the history of prosperity theology that recently there's actually been some encouraging defections, I guess, from this movement. Uh, Benny Hinn has recently kind of come out and apologized for some of the things that he preached about. His repentance, I guess, has seemed a little half-hearted, and he hasn't really done much to alter course. But I don't know his heart. There's certainly hope there another one that is very exciting right now is Todd White had been kind of in this same group with a lot of these guys and he recently came out and said hey we haven't been preaching the whole gospel I want to repent to that and I want to start preaching the true message of Jesus and so that's been electrifying and we hope that that continues and that he has this revival and that that revival that's happening with him and his church that that's going to have wide-ranging influence. And so there's hope in this, but there's a very serious danger to the true message of Jesus. And so I want to dive in a little bit to how we got to this place where preachers who are supposedly serving Jesus are now fleecing the flock for millions and billions of dollars to buy themselves private jets and mansions and $3,000 suits. Like, how did we get here?
1: Yeah, and a lot of it started with the movement that was called Word of Faith. And that movement had the sort of central focus and idea that spiritual realities could translate into your physical reality. Which actually,
0: on a 35,000-foot level, is true. But just the way that they apply that truth is very off focus.
1: Yeah, and so when scripture talks about not even human parents would, you know, give their kids a snake or feed their kids a rock instead of give them bread. Like what more as your heavenly father do I want to give you? And so certainly we see this message of Jesus wanting to care for his people and loving them and providing for them. But prosperity preachers take that messaging and they turn that into God wants to make you rich and he wants to let you have a mansion and he doesn't want you to go through trials or tribulations, which is very counter to what we see in scripture because In the New Testament, you hear verse after verse, like when you go through trials, this is how you should react and this is how you should respond. So certainly you see this message of love and of care and of provision from God, but they're taking that message and they're twisting it into some sort of a physical, here is a thousand dollars in your bank account.
0: Yeah, and really what it does is it diminishes the role of Jesus in our lives to him being kind of a magic genie because the message is if you believe hard enough, if you pray hard enough, if you give enough money, then eventually the blessing is going to come back to you. And the form of that blessing is your health and your wealth and your prosperity. And so this movement really aligns uh, with the kind of power of positive thinking movement. If you take someone who's a secularist, but believes in positive thinking, or you take someone who believes in the prosperity gospel and you have a conversation with those people, it is almost indistinguishable which one is which, apart from one will sprinkle Jesus into the conversation a little bit more, which is even more insidious because you're attaching Jesus' name to being a snake oil salesman, basically. Yeah,
1: and it really cheapens the gospel. Like, God only cares about this side of eternity and you having the most on this side of eternity and I actually have a lot of personal examples with this because my mom had kidney cancer and she had it for three years and so in in those three years as you can imagine a single mom with two kids like she wanted healing and in that she was very young in her faith Uh, Not that she had ever turned to any prosperity gospel preachers and gave anyone any money, but there were a handful of people around us that I remember people coming to me and saying, your mom just isn't believing hard enough for her healing. And I was just thinking, what are you talking about? So you're telling me it's her fault she's not healed? It's her fault she's still suffering from cancer because her belief isn't strong enough? Like, that's insane. Or people saying they had sent in money to some preacher and they had received a prayer cloth that was prayed over by this prosperity teacher and they mailed it to my mom.
0: They sent you like a flag? It was, I don't remember,
1: something. It was something, but supposedly it, you know, this preacher who had some extra dose of spiritual healing powers, I guess had prayed over this cloth and now my mom just needs to hold it and say her prayers with it and she'll be healed.
0: What's interesting about that in particular is that there is this account in the book of Acts where people would pass around uh, a cloth that Paul had touched and it had healing power. Mm -hmm. That was a very different situation because this was the apostle Paul. This is when the church is being formed and These miracles had the purpose of authenticating the message, this new message. And really, that's different than what's happening with the supposed healing cloths that are coming. It's kind of taking that whole narrative out of context and something that was descriptive. They're making it prescriptive. And, you know, it doesn't work.
1: Well, and they're in the name of healing and in the name of Jesus, they're taking people's money. Yeah, they're monetizing it, yeah. They're monetizing it and you actually have stories of widows or just people who are already not well off and they're poor and they're literally giving all of their money to these preachers in hopes of something and the sad part about it is they're putting their hope and their faith in these teachers but it's really jesus that they need to be putting their hope and their faith in and it's like they're they're going through these preachers as an avenue to get to jesus like as if these people have some special favor before the lord that they themselves don't have and that is counter to the gospel because that's exactly why jesus came so we we have direct access to God. we don't need to go through anyone to get any better access to God,
0: right. I think though, what happens is when you're hurting and you're desperate, you're looking for someone to give you answers. Oh, and absolutely. These teachers are giving answers, they're just not the right ones. Mm-hmm. and so this Word of faith movement is known for packing out large rooms with people and having these revival nights where the music is great. The preaching is very charismatic, and I don't mean that even in a theological way, even just it's very engaging and exciting oh they're and, they're
1: amazing communicators oh yeah, they are engaging, they're riveting the way they tell a story, the way they talk to you and the emotions that are happening in that room like it's really an art form
0: it is, and it gets. So energetic, almost to the point of being comical. Like you can... Oh,
1: well, yeah, you can watch the videos. You can Google Benny
0: Hinn. My favorite one is where people are getting slain in the spirit is the phrase that they use. Or basically they're just falling down in some ecstatic experience. And so there's like this wall of people and Benny Hinn is taking off his sports coat. And he's like whipping the, the crowd with his sports coat. And they're just falling over. More recently, I think it was Kenneth Copeland who was rebuking the coronavirus. Google that because it's just so ridiculous. He's rebuking the coronavirus, and just the way he does it is is so strange. And the things that he is, you know, quote-unquote, speaking into existence have not come to pass. And so really it ends up being a lot of hot air. But be that as it may, hot air or not, these words, lies or not, instill a sense of hope. And so that's why people are willing to give money. And that's really how these preachers are swindling people because they'll say, you give $1, God is going to multiply that tenfold. You can get $10 back. You give a $100, guess what? You're going to have a $1,000 coming back to you. And so people have gone into debt. They have leveraged all of their finances on this promise only to become financially destitute while the preacher who told them that, god would multiply it is getting richer and richer and richer
1: and another issue with it is they're taking examples in scripture they're taking stories or they're taking these one-handed accounts what is that account with the woman who is it she has the flour and she's been asked to make bread for elijah
0: was it flour or was it the oil that she? it was had? oil oh, okay, okay it
1: was oil flour is wrong she Clearly, only... I didn't go to seminary because I <laughs> I don't even remember the story.
0: She only had but enough oil.
1: She only had enough oil for like one meal, and she had kids that she needed to feed too. And it was Elijah, right?
0: Y- yes. Yes. So an Elijah, Elijah with a J, I think. Yeah,
1: Elijah the prophet was coming, and she was called to feed him, but she only had this last bit of oil left, and miraculously God continued to provide for her over and over and that oil just never ran out
0: so they'll take that story and they will say just keep giving just keep giving all of your money to me and God will keep providing which God does call you to give even out of your poverty and he is faithful but the way that they manipulate that and pull it out of context is very spiritually abusive
1: yes I think that is the perfect word for what is happening in the prosperity movement, it is spiritual abuse, and there's so much manipulation happening. I had read a book which is really good, I think I read it in two days by Costi Hinn, which is the nephew of Benny Hinn.
0: So he was all up in it as a kid, he
1: grew up in it. He had like a Range Rover in high school, he had a Rolex watch, like he had mansions and servants, and all of that was because of his uncle, Benny Hinn. And his book is absolutely amazing because he comes to this realization that his entire family has built this fortune off of the backs of poor people, and they haven't even been sharing the gospel. The one thing that I really love about his book is he feels the weight of his family leading people astray, And he really even questions, like, how is God going to hold the leaders of my family accountable for the countless people that have been led astray
0: with a false gospel? And that's why Jesus said it's be better to have a millstone tied around your neck and be thrown into the depths of the ocean than to lead someone astray.
1: And in that book, he's, he's very kind I mean, his. it's not this like tell-all family secrets, but he has some very meaningful stories of the manipulation and the abuse happening within the prosperity gospel to people who are searching and who are just trying to find hope. Outside of it just being insane and some of the videos being really entertaining, it's actually quite disgusting.
0: It is, and when people see the prosperity gospel and think that that is Christianity, that's where really so much damage is done in the name of Jesus. Yeah. And it's crazy that it's so popular. And part of that is probably because all of the prosperity preachers have really successful TV ministries and TV programs. What do you think the deal is with that?
1: I think for a lot of Christians and preachers and churches. We like to stick to the older models of of doing things, and it's hard for the church as a whole to move into different directions of how to do church. And I think there's a lot of fear of using media in any way, shape, and form. And so good, solid Bible teaching preachers don't use media like they don't go, go on television and preach because i think there's fear and there's issues where they think it's wrong to do that so it ends up being the only preachers on tv are the ones that are the prosperity gospel and preachers
0: they're not the only ones on tv
1: they're but, the ones that everybody knows
0: but they're certainly the ones that really double down on it and they're the ones that are the most creative in trying to reach people with their message it just turns out that their message is completely self-serving and false.
1: Yeah. And not that we're going to go into the the many methods of sharing the gospel and and what that looks like in our world right now with technology. And obviously, I think with COVID, we're seeing a large shift, a forced shift of how we reach people with the gospel, the true gospel. But I do think that's why you see the bulk of the preachers that are televangelists are the prosperity gospel teachers.
0: We even see this, I think, a contemporary example is on TikTok. A lot of churches and Christians are like, oh, should you be on TikTok? And false teachers don't have the same reticence in moving into these platforms to spread the message that they have. Hmm. And so I think that's a word for us to not let the false teachers get there first. (laughs) Wherever technology is taking us as a platform to spread our message.
1: I feel like that's a whole nother podcast (laughs) of how do we share the gospel in the year that we're in with the technology that we have and the advances of social media that happen year to year? Like how do we as a church step into that without being of the world, but in the world?
0: Yeah. I mean, that probably is a whole other episode, but I think it's relevant here. And I think another wrinkle that's been interesting in the past year or so as it pertains to social media and the prosperity gospel is this account on Instagram that made, you know, a huge splash called Preachers and Sneakers.
1: I didn't know about this account until you shared it with me and I followed it for a while. And I think I was just kind of annoyed with it because basically it takes preachers and teachers and it has pictures of, you know, whatever outfit they had on that day. And it puts a price tag on their shoes, on their shirts, on their hats, and it's kind of ridiculous how much money people are paying for stuff. But the reason is
0: the resale value of those sneakers. Which maybe were in limited release, maybe they didn't pay that. I think there's kind of a two sides to that Preacher and Sneaker coin. It's kind of a double edged sword. In that I think it was it's helpful in calling out some of the gaudiness of some preachers who many of whom on that account are prosperity preachers. So it's kind of a casting a light on there. At the same time, I think it's also a little bit misleading in certain situations. I think one, because not every pastor that's rich and famous is a prosperity preacher. That's an important distinction. Yeah,
1: because there are quite a bit of pastors that have become famous And the more you kind of research it, the more you realize some of them aren't even taking any sort of a paycheck from the church itself. It's either their books or albums or whatever other things they have happening in their life that's making money for them and has allowed them to step into this place of wealth. And so you're right. The fact that they're tied to the church alone, I think A lot of traditional Christians would have this view that if you're a preacher, you have no other choice but to be poor. And if you are a preacher that has money, then you must be a false teacher. It's like they want to make it black and white and cut and dry. And it's not exactly that easy.
0: Right. Yeah. Not every preacher that has a huge church that is very engaging is a prosperity Preacher, And not every preacher who has money got that money from their congregation. They may have written books. They may do speaking tours. They may have albums released. In the case of Stephen Furtick, who's written and produced and been a part of a number of worship albums that have become vastly popular in the American church. And so there are these other revenue streams. And it kind of taps into this other conversation of are preachers allowed to have wealth. And some would say yes, some would say no. Some would want to keep preachers poor because maybe that feels a little bit more godly. I don't subscribe to that approach. And I think even too, if you look at some pastors who have been very successful in their churches, if you look at the senior leader of an organization that's not a church, whether it's for profit or not for profit, and say this organization has hundreds of employees, it is a national organization with a global impact. It has locations across several different states and it has a multi million dollar budget. If you're the senior leader of that organization, whether that organization is a not-for-profit or for-profit, you can expect that that senior leader will be making six figures at least, even if it's a not-for-profit, sometimes even multiple six figures, because the level of leadership required, to steer that ship of hundreds of employees of a national presence with a global impact of a multi-million dollar budget. Managing that size of an organization requires a certain level of skill and that skill ought to be compensated. And so the going rates are what they are for that. Now, when you're working in a church, you're typically going to work at a discounted rate because you're not in it for the money, you're in it for the mission. But nonetheless, it should be somewhat competitive to what you're doing and so that's kind of the way that i tend to look at it because i don't think it's a godly thing to keep your preachers poor just for the sake of it
1: well and you have the verse inscription that says you're not to muzzle the ox
0: right i think the question in that becomes if i pay you 30 grand a year versus 100 grand a year i've given you enough to eat but you're not yeah. going to be wealthy.
1: And that is hard because I do think the traditional view, for whatever reason that is, uh, I would probably have to research why that's the case. But the traditional Christian view is that if you are in ministry and you are a pastor, you are called to be poor. Even though the rest of the congregation, if, you know, if you're living in a, let's say you're, you have a church in Beverly Hills and everyone there is rich, They would still think the pastor of that church needs to be living like in the ghetto somewhere because they're a pastor.
0: I think part of it is actually in response to some of the egregious things that prosperity preachers have done. In fact, Billy Graham, when he was young, this is when a lot of this word of faith and prosperity preachers and revival movements and the whole fleece and the flock Mm -hmm. thing was coming into vogue. And so a lot of people talk about the Billy Graham rule, but part of that rule was that he capped his salary at $30,000 He says, I'll, I'll never make more than that just to stay above reproach with regard to all these other preachers. And so that was a restriction that he imposed on himself. And so because you're Billy Graham, whatever you do becomes obligatory for everybody else. I think that's, that's part of it.
1: And that's such a difficult conversation. And Money's weird. Yeah, money is always, whether you're a Christian or not, money is always a weird, uncomfortable conversation. But I know, at least in our experience with Dale being a pastor, we've even had people comment on maybe us having too nice of things with Dale being a pastor. And that's hard as the family that's in ministry to feel as if you're not even allowed to have anything nice because... People are looking at you and they're going to judge you as if they are the ones who wrote your paycheck or something. Like it's a weird, kind of in some ways, like this power play too from sometimes people in the congregation. And I do think as people who are not in leadership and in ministry, we don't necessarily get to make those rules for the people who are leading in ministry. And we do need to side on the extension of grace and saying, well, if I'm not a leader, of course I want to have, you know, like a decent home to live that's not a one-bedroom apartment because, hey, you have a roof over your head. That's all you really need, right?
0: Yeah, and if you are a leader in the church, you're a leader because you have certain skills and really... So right now my full-time job is in marketing for an enterprise software company. And I can, I mean, just is really crude, but I can make a lot more money in marketing than I can in full-time ministry. I can make a lot more money doing marketing as my full-time job and then doing ministry in my free time. And I don't have that constraint than if I went into ministry full-time. And so there is that tension there because There are financial realities, but there is this calling on your life to the mission of Jesus. And so these are things that we're constantly kind of wrestling with Mm -hmm. because there is this tension uh, between wanting to provide, but also not wanting to be greedy and also wanting to follow the mission of Jesus.
1: Yeah. And I think for people in ministry, there certainly is a balance. I mean, let's be honest, like Dale and I are not trying to live this wealthy life, but... Even Dylan and I had a conversation the other day. I'm already in a far better financial state and I guess in terms of material goods than I ever have been my entire life. And is that wrong that we've both been in ministry and I am already seeing... A different life than the life that I grew up in with my single mom. And that's, there's the tension there, you know, like, should we continue to live the way that I live growing up?
0: Right. And so these are open questions. But I think as we think through what it means to follow Jesus, what the gospel is, and how blessing and prosperity fits into that, I think it's important to hang our hats on some truths that we can't let prosperity preaching steal from us. Because The thing about prosperity preaching and the prosperity gospel is that it it almost aligns with truth. I think that's why it's so deceptive because it's almost true. It's like you're using the same words, but you're defining them differently. And so our tendency will be to overcorrect for that. And so we need to fight that temptation. And so as we come closer to the end of this episode here, we want to outline three truths that we can't let – the prosperity gospel steal from us?
1: I think that's a good way to phrase it too, is there are truths that are in scripture that some Christians won't even utter, even though it's it's blatant in scripture, because there's the fear that that statement alone might sound like the prosperity gospel. And one of those statements or truths is that, God has a bias for blessing you. That is in scripture. God genuinely wants to care for his people and he wants to bless you. Now, the issue is the prosperity gospel defines blessing as all material and physical goods. That's not how scripture defines it. It's actually far more robust of a blessing than just these physical things. And so, yes, can God bless you with physical things? Certainly. But is that the length and the breadth of the blessing that he desires for his people? Absolutely not.
0: Yeah, God wants to bless you. I mean, that sounds so simple. God wants to bless his people. And people say that, oh, that's man-centric theology. The whole Bible is man-centric. I mean, it's God-centric and it's man-centric. But the story is wrapped around the story of humanity. And so the the Bible is about God, and God is the hero. Jesus is the hero of all Scripture. But the story is also about us, and it is also about the lengths to which God will go to bless us, that he created us in his image, that while we rebel against him, he brings blessing upon blessing upon blessing, grace upon grace. He extends a chance after a chance and ultimately that's leading to redemption. God wants to bless us. And Jesus said straight up, in this life you will have trouble. So it's not negating that, but he's saying take heart because I have overcome the world. And so God has a bias for blessing you.
1: And I think that everything you just said probably made some people cringe because of what the prosperity gospel has done.
0: Yeah, but we can't let them.
1: I agree. Steal I'm just from it saying because
0: Jesus came that we might have life and have it abundantly. That's the purpose for which he came, that he might be glorified and that we might be built up in that. So number one, God has a bias for blessing you. And two, cultivating generosity actually does lead to you living an abundant life. We talked earlier about how prosperity preachers will say, hey, you give $1 and God will give you back 10. It doesn't work like that. That came from an Old Testament prophecy where the prophet said like, hey, give your whole tithe and see if I won't you know, bring it back tenfold and a hundredfold. There's not an exact tally, but there is a truth that generally speaking, if you are a generous person and you've structured your life to be generous, then you will have a a joyful and full life.
1: And I think a lot of people could say they've seen how they've given financially and and God has brought back blessings in in different ways, not necessarily a one-for-one with money to money, but God has brought back other blessings in different ways. That they could account for.
0: And I would even say that's happened to us. And sometimes I cringe when I hear those stories. It's like, oh, I gave $200. And then wouldn't you know what? I got a $200 check from something. I always cringe a little bit when I hear those stories. And I I probably shouldn't because God works how God works. And that's how it happened in that person's life. But that's not prescriptive. But I will say that if you are committed to generosity one you're just better with your finances and when you're better with your finances i think it's a line from incredibles where it says luck favors the prepared or opportunity favors the prepared and so some of it is that and another part of it is that god will just bless you like even as i'm sitting in this new house that we have we didn't anticipate that we would be able to move and to afford this home yet there was times even a year ago where we were giving and because of the financial position we were in at that moment, we were giving more than we felt like we had to give. Like it was actually really painful to do so. And now a year or two later, we find ourselves in this position of abundance. I think there's some kind of correlation there.
1: Yeah, but I think you're right. There's some, it, some it, cringy it feeling about It can get real that. sketchy yeah. real quick. Yeah, because if you say, well, we gave, you know, above and beyond two years ago, so now God's blessed us with the house. Like, that's really hard to say or to think that's how God works. I've certainly seen countless blessings in my life. And and I think even growing up, that was one of my mom's number one convictions as even a, a young believer was we didn't necessarily have money to pay for some very important bills. And my mom always gave. And it was really quite incredible to see how our electricity should have been shut off and someone was paying for the bill. These really amazing moments where you see how God provided. Now, can I correlate exactly, was it because of my actions or my mom's actions, why those blessings came or those provisions came? No, but I think there's this general principle that we can live by that because we have hearts of generosity, like God will continue to bless us and he will continue to care for us because it's out of our faith in him that, you know what? I am going to let go of this. I'm not going to be the controller of this thing. I am going to give even though it's uncomfortable and God will see that faith and he'll say, see, I can care for you and I will care for you. And I won't even care for those basic needs, but I will also care for things that are of your heart too.
0: And I think that leads into our last truth. So the first one is that God has a bias for blessing you. The second one is that cultivating generosity does lead to you living an abundant life. Even if not necessarily, that means physical riches. But all, the, the last thing that's important is that God cares about both your physical needs and your spiritual needs. God cares about your soul. He also cares about your body because he created them both. And while your body is passing away, he still cares about it. And one day you're going to get a new body. But even before you get that one, he's caring for the physical needs today.
1: Yeah, because he created your whole self and he's going to care for your whole self. I'm always amazed at the way people are in awe of the intricacies of the human body and the way it heals and the way it functions and the way it works and you don't even know how it works. I remember thinking about labor and delivery and being terrified and thinking I have no idea if I even know what I'm going to do, but it, it's it's the most fascinating thing how your body just knows what to do because I have never delivered a baby before and yet it happened and Like my body just did what it did, like in some ways without me really knowing that's what it needed to do or controlling it. And so all of that is what God created. Like he created your body to do things. He created your physical self. So how is he going to be so detailed and so caring and so loving in the inner workings of your physical body? And yet when it comes to actually caring for it after he's created, He doesn't care about it. Like that just doesn't make any sense to me. Right. So this idea that he really cares about you physically and spiritually is because he has always cared about you physically and spiritually.
0: And Jesus died and rose to save your soul, but he also died and rose to redeem your body and to redeem the the physical space of the earth where there will be a new heaven and a new earth and we'll live in redeemed relationship that the soul is not dismembered from the body. In 2 Corinthians 5, I believe it is, that we're not longing to be unclothed, meaning to shed our physicality, but to be more fully clothed, to have, have redemption brought to this. And so that's a piece of the gospel that is there as well that we see breaking forth into our lives today and that we get to be a part of and that we get to see God move in supernatural ways towards.
1: Yeah, and I think overall, the prosperity gospel is very harmful to the Christian faith and to people coming to the faith. And there's obviously a long history behind it. And it is easy to be persuaded by it because it it does have some very similar truths to scripture. It just falls shy of actually being truth. But it's important for us as Christians not to write off or to let the prosperity gospel steal from us the truths that are very clearly Outlined in scripture. So we shouldn't be afraid of the prosperity gospel and we should do our best to try not to overcorrect and to take the good news out of the good news because we're afraid it sounds too much like the prosperity gospel. Thanks for listening to the Her and Him podcast.
0: If you enjoyed hanging out with us, consider subscribing to the podcast to receive it automatically each week.
1: We'd also love it if you head over to iTunes to leave us a rating and review.
0: And be sure to come visit us at herandhim.com, where you'll find show notes for this episode, our blog, and other resources to help you experience the abundant life that Jesus promised us.
1: Thanks again. We'll see you next week.